0: Bible and turn to the 25th Psalm again as we make our way down uh, through this. Uh, we're going to talk, the title is tonight, Lift Your Soul Up to God. And I want to uh, ask you, where have you lifted your soul today? You lift your soul to a lot of things. Boy, it can depress you, it can bring you down, it can uh, rattle your faith. And so tonight it's good that we come together, it's good that we sing songs like that. Holy is the Lord God Almighty, those type of things. Because if you listen too much to the news, you'll get the idea that everything is just haphazard, random, going crazy. There's no answer to anything. And people are just stupid. And the world is just chaotic. Then you come to church and you sing Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you're reminded that you can take a deep breath and you can have peace in your soul. Because the God you know, and the God you serve, and the God you love is watching over you. He is in you. He is taking care of you, and he's taking care of this world. And I think we're in the latter days, and um, however you would define that, uh, maybe a long time, much longer than I think, maybe much shorter than any of us think as well. And yet all of that is taking us to the end by the Lord. It's not just happening and then the Lord goes, oh, looks like it's time now. It's all planned out and it's all moving that direction. So where did you lift up your soul? You see, when you sing songs like we did tonight, you're lifting your soul up before the Lord. You're lifting it up for cleansing, for refreshing. Your soul is your mind, your thinker, it's your will, that's your chooser, your decision maker, and it's also your emotions, your feeler. And so many times this world does everything it can to get us thinking wrong and to get us making bad decisions based on bad thinking and then to almost come and destroy us emotionally because uh, we get hopeless and we get despondent, we despair, we get disappointed in things and people and politics and world events all of those kind of things and so it's good that we do this tonight and i want to encourage you read your bible every day and let the word of god saturate your mind that's how you lift your soul up to god you need to spend time with the lord in prayer every day because that's how you lift your soul up to god you need to get your mind colossians says off of the earthly things. And set your mind on things above where Christ is. At the right hand of God the Father. Oh it will do you so much good. And uh, when we think about our emotions. Have you ever noticed how your emotions can change just on a. We, we always say on a dime. Uh, that just means they can change so quick. You can be fine. And somebody can say that one thing. That they probably shouldn't have said. And just wrecks you. You can be uh, if, if you're like me you can be in here and have a wonderful time of worship then try to make a left hand turn out of our parking lot and all of a sudden the whole world is just messed up and all of that it's just the way we live and the enemy knows that and they are working on us to take us away from keeping our eyes on the Lord from turning to him and so sometimes we turn how do we lift up our soul, we lift up our soul to politics, that's gonna be the answer. If the right person is elected, that'll be the whole answer. No, it's not. No, it's not. Well, if I could just get away for a while, have you ever noticed how some people, they just always need to get away. Get away from what? And to what? What's going on? Well, a lot of times it's because they've lifted up their soul to their job and it's not satisfying. They've lifted up their soul to a person or a relationship and it's not satisfying to them. And we can lift up our soul to money and then we find out that however big the amount gets in our bank account, it still doesn't satisfy us. There's only one place to go. The old hymn says, where could I go but to the Lord? And yet we certainly try an awful lot and we come to the Lord just Uh, as a last resort, right? Lift up your soul to the Lord. Now, before we get into Psalm 25, I want to read some other scripture. I want you to look back at Psalm 24, the last one that we looked at, and look at verse 4. Now, when David says, who can come into the presence of the Lord and ascend to his holy hill, he lists several things. But did you notice? Maybe you've forgotten. It says, he who has clean hands, and a pure heart. Now look at this next thing. Who does not lift up his soul to that which is false. Now let that sink in. Because in 25, unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. And then in 24, David has just reminded us, it is possible to lift up your soul to what is false. But well, we live in a society that just lies to us all the time I got to thinking about some of the falsehoods that we face and our children face all the time uh, because that verse in Psalm 24 says and does not swear deceitfully well a lot of people do swear deceitfully oh I promise I'm telling you the truth oh this is God's honest truth this is the gospel truth and they can lie right to your face Well, think about the falsehoods we face. I think the biggest one is, there is no God. We're bombarded with that everywhere we go and everywhere we turn. There's no God, and there's also, they will tell us, no sin. What are you feeling guilty about? There's no sin. You're just a highly evolved animal. Do what feels right, do what comes naturally, and so we destroy ourselves and we destroy relationships. And uh, then we wonder what went wrong and what happened. Well, we lifted up our soul to a lie. No God, no sin, uh, no authority. You can do whatever you want. Think about the book of uh, Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. How'd that work out? I mean, we've been here before, and now we find people that just want to throw off all authority. Nobody can tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want to do when I want to do it. And our world is descending into chaos and into confusion. Confusion, And you remember God's not the author of confusion. And people are so incredibly confused now about so many things. They don't know what to believe. They don't know who to believe. They don't know what's right. They don't know what's wrong. In fact, they don't even know what's up or what's down. And so, uh, you know, get prepared. You're going to go shopping sometime. And this is going to get worse. And you're going to see somebody standing in front of, of the restrooms and it says men's room and ladies room and they're looking back and forth because they're not really sure where to go and we got so many things where we're just so messed up and uh, that's because we've been lifting up our soul to a lie we've also been told that there's no eternity the whole idea of evolution and us just being a soulless animal means that when we die, we just die. That's the end. It is over. How many people, as the suicide rate gets worse and worse, and, boy, God bless them, that breaks my heart, but how many people do you suppose, well, think about somebody who is uh, a Muslim, and they have been told that if they will give their life for Allah in jihad, suicide, that they would go immediately into paradise. Okay, let's think about 9-11. Can you imagine as those men flying those planes were screaming, "Allahu Akbar, God is great, as they slammed into the buildings, expecting to go to paradise and 70 virgins and all that type of thing. Can you imagine what it was like when instead of paradise, their first conscious moment was hell? Can you imagine somebody who has been taught so much that this is the only life you have and there's no life beyond the grave, there's no life in eternity and so they become so filled with despair that they overdose on pills on purpose or maybe they use a gun or they hang themselves or something like that thinking, I will get relief. Now, doesn't your heart go out to them? Because if they don't know the Lord... They don't get relief. It's horrible. It's terror You ought to read Luke chapter 16 sometime and just go through it slowly and meditate on what the rich man experienced in hell and think about the fact that that rich man never expected to go there. Now, he probably thought Lazarus the beggar would. I mean, after all, obviously, he's cursed of God, but not me. I'm blessed. And yet it turned out just the opposite. And I think about people who look for relief in all the wrong places. They think that they've got a bottle of something and, oh, this just helps me sleep and it just calms me down until they have to go to a rehab center. Same thing with pills and all kinds of stuff like that. And uh, I predict that here in Oklahoma and places like this, the the marijuana addiction is going to go through the roof, even if it's medicinal. And it's not going to provide what everybody is looking for. Why? Because we are lifting up our soul to a lot of lies. And so we're told no eternity, so just do away with yourself. It doesn't matter. Live any way you want. It doesn't matter. What about all of the emphasis on sex? outside of marriage you know it's just so old-fashioned and silly to think that anyone would be a virgin when they marry or to think that you would not have sexual activity outside of marriage it's mocked and made fun of on tv shows movies those kind of things i heard an advertisement for a movie the other day and uh, i was listening to a a podcast so it wasn't a video and uh, they were mocking virginity and you know, that type of thing. I mean, everybody just thinks that's just the dumbest thing. You just can't expect anybody to live like that. And yet, that's what the Bible says is the way to happiness. But it's not just that. Homosexuality, transgender, all of that kind of stuff. That we can do anything we want, anytime we want, change anything we want. And we think that that's going to be the road to happiness. And of course... It is an absolute lie. It tears up families. It hurts children. uh, It causes all kinds of emotional and spiritual difficulties. I mean, it's not just, oh, it's just the way it is. People are just different now. No, they're really not. It's a terrible thing. And so uh, all of this, we think there'll be no consequences, and yet we hear over and over and over about sexually transmitted diseases. I thought those were all gone. Well, they're not. And people are being hurt by those things. And marriages are falling apart. And uh, people are getting hurt by that. Children are getting hurt by those kind of things. And uh, we've just believed a lie. We believe the lie that says life is all about you. It's all about you and your happiness. Do what feels good. Do what makes you happy. And it doesn't really matter how it affects anybody else. All such self-centeredness, selfishness, in our world today and then we're also told that truth is not absolute you know you've heard it a million times on talk shows and others well that's your truth and you have your truth and I have my truth 2 plus 2 is 4 well yeah if you're a racist bigot it is but what if I believe that 2 plus 2 is 16 I have every right to believe that don't I And you have no right to judge me and no right to say that I'm wrong or do anything like that. That's the world that we live in. And doesn't it make you wonder with all of that kind of thinking while China is putting emphasis with their children on math and science and education. And we are busy as one secretary of the the education department said one time. That they're teaching their kids 2 plus 2 is 4 and we come to our kids and we say 2 plus 2 is whatever you want and how do you feel about it? It's crazy. What's that going to do to our technology? What's that going to do to our next generation of leaders? What's that going to do to our industry and those kind of things? Well, it's destroying it because the thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. And what does that do to our churches? What happens when you have a generation of people after we're gone that are not really sure they can trust anything and they're for sure not going to trust the Bible or the preaching of the Word of God? What's it going to do? Well, they'll go to churches, as uh, Paul said, where they can have their ears tickled. Right? They'll go to the place where it fits what they want instead of telling them what they need to hear there's a big difference in what you want and what you need even spiritually isn't it and sometimes the word of god cuts across the grain and it gets our attention and it kind of slaps us around a little bit it challenges our thinking and you know what that's good we need that the word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path and without that we're going to stumble miserably and make a horrible mess or as uh, I heard a Scottish preacher say we make a dog's breakfast out of our lives. And then we wonder what's wrong. So we've got to think about this. Where are you lifting up your soul? And, um, you know, the world tells us just believe whatever you please. It really doesn't matter. Just wh- whatever you want to believe. I want you to uh, look at 2 Timothy 3, 1-5 through And uh, you've seen this 150 times, but you need to see it 151 times. Because everything we just described, and when we think about where we lift up our soul, this uh, gives us the outgrowth of that. This is what the end result is going to be of people, a generation, a society, a culture, a nation that looks everywhere but to God to refresh their soul. And they always do it thinking, oh, this is real freedom. It's what they say at first until they find out they're handcuffed. This is just real happiness until they're so diseased they can hardly move. This is really what I was looking for. This is like a cold drink of spring water, they say, as their spouse walks out the door with another person. I mean, this is just the way it is. is. Second Timothy 3, 1-5. And the Apostle Paul says, But understand this, that in the last day... There will come times of difficulty. King James says perilous times. And it says, uh, here's a description. For people, we'd be lovers of self. Okay? I think we're in the last days just from that. Right? Lovers of money. I'm getting more convinced. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. You got your rapture shoes on now? I mean, according to this, we're close. Ungrateful. It doesn't get better. Unholy. Heartless. Man. Inappeasable. Unappeasable. Never can satisfy them. Slanderous. Oh, how about this one? Without self-control. I think I hear a trumpet. I mean, this is just describing... This is... Uh, As accurate, more so than the headlines of your newspaper, isn't it? Brutal. Not loving. Not loving good, excuse me. Treacherous. Reckless. Oh, how about this one? Swollen with conceit. Have you ever seen a more self-centered culture than the one that we live in? Thank you, social media and other things like that. Thank you, permissive liberal parenting. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. You know anybody like that? You seen anybody like that in the media? You seen anybody that, dis, that fits this description in politics, campaigning, whatever they may be doing right now? You have a neighbor that kind of looks like that? Have you ever struggled with any of those things? I have. And so we look around at the world we're living in and the way that we're raised, the things that we accept, the things that are constantly squeezing us into the mold of this world and the Holy Spirit is screaming inside of our heart, turn to me, trust me, go to God, lift up your soul to God. Everything in the world is going to crush you. And everything in the world is, as the Apostle John said, it's passing away. What do we say when we talk about somebody who has passed away? What's a synonym for that? Come on. Dead. So when John says the world is passing away, this world is in the process of dying. It's we, We might say, oh, but everything out there is so cool. Yeah, that's what corpses do. They get cool. Right? And that's the way the world is. And a lot of us are just not smart enough to see all of that. And so we follow after it. And we push our children in that direction. And we're scared to death that we or our families are going to be weird and not be cool like everyone else. Well, remember that next time you think of that. So let's look at uh, Psalm 25 and verses 8 through 11. And David begins to describe uh, the Lord and uh, give us some uh, instruction here. And it says, Good and upright is the Lord. Well, nothing else is, and no one else is, but good and upright is the Lord. Now, here's a therefore, so it's connected. Because God is good and upright, therefore, He teaches sinners... In the way. Verse 9. The humble he guides in justice. And the humble he teaches his way. Not the way of humility but the way of God. Verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. To such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. And then he it has a four there so he's connecting this again for your name's sake O lord pardon my iniquity for it is great now it's interesting that we go from talking about god and what god does with sinners and people that need to know the way of the lord and humility that comes and god works with them and then it's as if david is writing this and he reads all of those things and he goes oh lord i'm so far from where you want me to be Did you know that when you read your Bible, it doesn't always feel good? Even when David is writing this, he's writing beautiful, wonderful, marvelous things about God. And then he ends up at the end of this uh, passage that we look at going, Oh, pardon my iniquities and cleanse me. He didn't feel so good about himself. As he compared himself to the Lord, he didn't feel so good about himself anymore. As he talked about sinners and as he talked about the humble and as he talked about people like that getting instructed in the way of the Lord, I wonder if the Holy Spirit reminded him, David, you've had times when you haven't been humble. You've had times when you've been proud and arrogant and gone your own way. You've had times when you, like the sheep that's gone astray, you strayed off of the paths of the Lord. And uh, you uh, have been in, in trouble like that. And David just gets overwhelmed as he writes these things down. And he has to make confession to the Lord. What do you do when you read your Bible? Do you just gain information? Do you just gain intellectual knowledge? Do you just go, oh, that was beautiful. I think I'll find another beautiful saying. Because there are a lot of beautiful sayings in the Bible. But there's more to it than that. It is designed to be a light and a lamp as you know, and it is guiding us. And so you're supposed to read it and then do something with it. You adjust your life to the word of God. And that's what we see David here, a man after God's own heart. And yet as he writes these very things, he has to adjust his life to God. It's not that God's going to say, what are you doing now? Okay, let me let me do that, too. It's not that way. We look to Him, and we follow Him, and we glorify Him. So, having read that, I want you to think about these things as we lift up our soul to the Lord. Number one, um, I have down here the contrast. I saw a big, big contrast in, the, that, uh, in verse 8. Okay, God is good and transforms sinners like us. Okay, there's not a person in the room tonight that doesn't need to be transformed. There's not a person in here tonight that is everything that they are supposed to be, doing everything they are supposed to do, and right with God. It's easy for us to say, well, I think I'm right with God. I don't feel any particular thing like that. Well, that's why we need the Word of God. When we read the Word of God, we look and we go, yeah, don't measure up. Nope, that doesn't fit me. And uh, I, I read in here... That good and upright is the Lord. Okay, well I would expect that. That fits. And I want to be good and upright myself. You probably want to be a good person and be upright yourself. Now what does a good and upright person do? Well, generally they live in nice neighborhoods and they work in nice places and they go to nice churches and they have nice friends and uh, they are the kind of people that you look at and go, oh, salt of the earth. Man, they are really something. I bet they've never said a foul word. I bet they've never looked at pornography. I bet they are careful in everything that they do. Isn't that great? Oh, good. Now, who gets the glory in that if we're not careful? We do. People look at us and go, oh, you're, you're a really, really good person. Well, the Lord is the only one that's good. You remember the rich young ruler uh, said, good master to Jesus. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. Kind of hint, hint, get it? Well, when we think about God being good, and what does David say that he does? He just stays up in heaven all by himself being holy, and he doesn't get his hands dirty with anything else. It's interesting that the last part of that verse says, God is good and upright. And what does he do? Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. You know what your goodness and your spiritual growth and your sanctification is supposed to do? Get you more involved with sinners. But because you are good and you are upright, and because you're like God and because you're growing in the Lord, you don't join in with them. You teach them. You're an example to them. Martin Luther said we get people saved out of the world and now we've got to work at getting them back out there. That's what we're supposed to do. Go into all the world, the scripture says. We're not supposed to live lives where we are cloistered like monks, where we have our own Christian everything and we never rub shoulders with the world. We never get involved in conversations with lost people. We uh, never share our faith. We never are uh, building relationships, eating with them, and ...and learning uh, where they're coming from... ...and showing them how Jesus meets every need that they have... ...especially the eternal need. And so I found it interesting there... ...that the goodness of God causes Him to come down to sinners like us. That's why Jesus came to earth to redeem us. He didn't just stay separate and stay in heaven like He could have. And so the implication here is... ...as we lift our soul to the Lord... ...we get so full of Him and His truth... And we are being so changed by the Lord that it gets noticed in the world in a good way, not in a legalistic, proud way or a look how great I am kind of way. And it also doesn't cause us to go, oh, I'm too good to associate with anybody over there. We don't think like that. In fact, thinking like the Lord, I get so filled with the good things of God, I want to share them. I want to share them with that person that I work with. I want to share them with that person I go to school with. I want to share them with somebody that's in my neighborhood. I want to share them with somebody who is pumping gas by me. I want to share it with a a waiter or a waitress in a restaurant. I want to share it with my children. I want to share it with Uh, other people and so sometimes we come to church and we have an outlet on that because we're just so full but we also need to think about the fact that God being good and upright perfect and holy he teaches sinners and so sinners need to hear they need to hear from us and we need to be salt and light somebody said one time years ago it was the title of a book out of the salt shaker and into the world And that really is the truth. Where is our saltiness? Jesus said, if it's not out there where it needs to be, it's really good for nothing. And we don't want to be good for nothing in any of that. So the Lord is good, and therefore He interacts with sinners and teaches them the way. So God is holy, and He is separate, meaning He's different from us. And uh, humans who appear to be good and upright, well, we stay away from the seedy side of things and From sinners. I saw a thing today on Facebook. I was looking and you know how it has locations. And I saw this guy's name. He's a pastor friend from way back. And it said Rogers County Jail. What's he doing in jail? You know what I found out? He makes a trip to the county jail every week. To see if there's anybody there that he can pray with. To see if there's anybody there that he can help. And he's led people to the Lord doing that. And I thought, it never dawned on me to go to a jail. Probably doesn't dawn on most of us to go to a jail. But it did him. And you know why, I would suppose? Because he's lifted his soul up to the Lord. And now he's going to take it. He's going to take it where it's needed the most. He's going to take it where it will do some good. And that's the way we ought to be thinking. And you may not go to the jail But there may be somebody that's walking down the street in your neighborhood and you just go out and walk with them for a while and talk with them about some things. There may be somebody with a need that you hear about and you go, well, I hope somebody ministers to them. Well, maybe it's supposed to be you. This is the thing that we are to do. And so... uh, Sometimes we find that the people that are upright and good, they're all really big on justice. They want criminals to get what they deserve. They want everybody else to get what they deserve. But when they mess up, boy, they sure pull the mercy card out, don't they? I want mercy for me and justice for you. And you want justice for me and mercy for you. Well, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful For they shall obtain mercy. And we forget that sometimes as we look at other people. And we've got to be careful about all of that. And this is telling us that as sinners, we can't approach God because He is holy. So what is this verse telling us? He came to us. He came to us. He came down to where we are. And He comes down. He reveals Himself And he interacts with people like us who deserve hell. That's the only reason you're saved is because God intervened in your life. I thought about Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. Moses is, uh, well, he's he's murdered somebody. You know, we don't talk very much about the uh, wickedness of Moses. He's a murderer. If he got justice, Pharaoh would have cut his head off, right? But he got mercy. And he runs for his life and now he is in the backside of the desert. Not just the desert, the back side of the desert. He doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't want to be found. He doesn't want anybody to discover him. He is really uh, hiding out in that area. And then one day he sees a bush that's burning, remember? And he goes to investigate it and then he hears from the Lord. And in Exodus chapter 3 verse 6, look what happens. Moreover, he, God, said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. See, God is revealing himself, and he's interfering and intervening in uh, Moses' life. Moses wasn't looking for God. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. There's more reasons than one for that, certainly because God is holy, but Moses has blood on his hands. Remember that? This is not where you really want to do You You're trying to run from Pharaoh. And what do you do? You run into somebody who is actually holy. The Lord. He's afraid to look upon him. Now look what God does. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their uh, sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and large land to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the uh, Jebusites now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel has come to me And I have also seen the oppression uh, which is going on here. And so, what was the point of all of that? I'm going to send you. So, think about it. God intervenes, God sees the sin, God comes and interacts with a sinner named Moses, and he says, I've heard all of this, and I understand what's going on. Now, I'm sending you to go and tell Pharaoh. Let my people go. Boy, the last place Moses wanted to go was to Egypt, wasn't it? The last person he wanted to see was Pharaoh after he had killed an Egyptian there. And yet God reveals himself and then commissions him to go. This is what we find here in verse 8. The Lord is good and so he interacts with sinners and it does more than just give them intellectual knowledge. It's a mission. It's a calling. It is propelling them to go somewhere and to do something that they normally wouldn't do. And so he says, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Okay? Now, secondly, I want you to notice something. Look at the condition. And David mentions humility. Humility, as opposed to pride, is necessary to know God. Now, Going back to Moses, he thought he was all that in a bag of chips. I mean, he was schooled in all the ways of Egypt, smart. And there he was being raised in the palace. Then he finds out he's a Hebrew and he identifies with the Hebrews. And he sees an Egyptian that is mistreating a Hebrew. And so what does he do? He kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand. Boy, God's lucky to have me, isn't he? Boy, these people don't know what they've got. Then the next day there are two Jews. They're talking and they're striving together. And Moses says, hey, why are you fighting your brothers? And one of them goes, oh, you're going to kill me like you did the Egyptian? And Moses, man, I'm sure at that point his blood turned to ice water. And he had to go and run. Well, now it's been 40 years. He's an old man. What has he got to show for himself? He's in the backside of the desert. And that's when God finally uses Moses. Because at that point, I think Moses was finally humble. He wasn't thinking, I could deliver these people if God would just let me. Show me those Egyptians. I'm not going to let you get away with that. Now he's a different man. And he has humility. And the Bible says that God is going to uh, not only intervene in the lives of sinners, but he's going to bring humility. The humble, he guides in justice And the humble, he teaches his way. And you notice something missing out of there? What does he do with proud people? What does he do with arrogant people? What does he do with know-it-alls? Apparently he leaves them alone. To go their own way into destruction. But for those who will be humble before God. That is the calling. You can't do it. He can. You are not perfect. He is. You're not all that good and all that upright. But He is. You need Him. We sometimes talk about, oh God needs you. And God can use you. God doesn't need anything or anyone. But you definitely need God. And so when we humble ourselves, that's when he teaches us. You don't get anything out of the word of God when you're proud, arrogant, and think you know it all. Reading through this, you know, I've read this before. I'm not going." Well, no wonder you don't get anything out of it. Jesus promised to teach the humble his way. And so only the humble can be instructed, actually, because the proud already think they've got all the answers and they know everything. And pride is what uh, causes us to go against God and... Uh, his instruction in James chapter 4 verse 10 it says humble yourselves in the side of the Lord and he will lift you up you want to be lifted up tonight the only way you're going to be lifted up is to bow the only way up is to go down and you've got to humble yourself before the Lord this doesn't help know-it-alls and arrogant people Matthew chapter 18 verse 4 therefore whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Boy, I'd like to really do something for God and make my life count something for God and be a blessing to the kingdom. So what do you do? You go out there and you make it happen. You put your corporation together and you get a lot of money and you get a reputation and you make yourself known. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus said if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you've got to be like a little child. Humility. Humility. Is the way that we go. We don't like that. It doesn't fit 21st century America at all. Matthew 23 verse 10 says. And whoever exalts himself. And we got a lot of that going on. Will be humbled. And he who humbles himself. Will be exalted. So the way up is to go down. And the way to get is to give. And the way to live is to die. The laws of the kingdom are completely different. Than our laws. And humility is the key when you approach God, humbling yourself. Number three, the conflict. We want the benefits of salvation without obedience. Boy, is that ever true. So many people, oh, I'm saved and I want to go to heaven, but I ain't doing that and I'm not doing that and I'm living the way I want to live and nobody can make me do anything any different. You know anybody like that? Stubborn, going to do what they want to do, but they sure want to go to heaven when it's time for them to die and they'll... uh, Uh, you know, fight with you if you tell them that they're not. And yet the mark of a Christian, the first mark is obedience, isn't it? Verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Even when he leads you through the valley of the shadow of death, yeah, all the paths are mercy and truth. To such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Testimonies, what's written in the word of God. So when you live, are you living up to the fact that you are a covenant child of God? And are you obeying what you find in the Scripture? And uh, that's what we're called to do. And that's how the Bible says that we learn. That's how the Bible says that we grow. But see, we've got a lot of people today. They've been to enough church camps. They've been to enough vacation Bible schools. They've been to enough revival meetings. They don't like it very much. But they have enough to say that, uh, well, if I can do this and pray this prayer and be affiliated with the church, I'll go to heaven when I die no matter how I live. Well, nothing could be farther from the truth. We want the benefits of salvation, but we don't want any of the responsibilities and we don't want to be obedient to the Lord. And so uh, we need to lift our soul up to the Lord Instead of to everything else. And trying to fill it ourselves. All the Lord's paths are mercy and truth. And we certainly need mercy. And boy do we ever need truth. Because again the world is lying to us. We've got to get truth from the word of God. But we all stray. And we stray from his paths. We go our own way. And we accept the things that we want from the covenant. Well, I'll take that and I'll take that. God's supposed to make me healthy. God's supposed to make me wealthy. God's supposed to give me peace. God's supposed to make everything in my life work. But then again, I don't feel any responsibility to obey what he says. There's a problem with all of that. And lastly, here's the challenge. We make everything about us. How many times have you talked to somebody, are you a believer? Oh yeah, I sure am. And I had somebody say to me one time, I said, yeah, I I was 15 and I found the Lord. Well, I know what they meant, but that's sure wrong. You don't find God. He does what? Find you. He's the shepherd that seeks the lost sheep. But it makes us feel better as if I'm going along through life and I was doing this this and this and this and this. And oh, then I found the Lord and I surrendered to him and followed him. I found the Lord. Makes me look good. Makes me feel good. And yet when David talks about all of this in verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. So why should God forgive me? Why should God save me? Why should God make me his child? So that I don't go to hell? Well, that's part of it, but that's not the main reason. So that I can live a better life? Well, that's part of it, but that's not the main reason. Get it? For your name's sake. God saved you for his glory. Jesus died on the cross for the glory of God the Father. Jesus did miracles for the glory of God the Father. But we want it all to be about us. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. You know, we say things like that. I think he had the Father on his mind. I think he was doing everything to glorify the Father, to fulfill prophecy, and to do what the Father planned, which was to save us. We were certainly included in it, but I think he had his mind upon the Father and the Father's will. In fact, he said in the garden, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And then he headed toward the cross. Enduring and despising the shame and putting up with the unjust, illegal trial and the beatings and then the horrible, shameful death of the cross for the will of the Father. Now, we got included in that, but we kind of want to move up and we want to go to the front of the line and we want to make it about us. I trusted the Lord. I gave my heart to the Lord. I found the Lord. I, 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 I. Well, we need to be saying he, 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 he. I don't mean to say that like a laughter, but pointing to what God did. How come I'm saved? Because of what Jesus did. How come I care about the things of God? Because the Holy Spirit drew me to those things. Why is it that I've ever learned from the Word of God if humility is the key to all of that? Because the Lord did a work of humility in my life it's all of grace and it's all of him and it's all for his glory why do i witness well i don't want my friend to go to hell how about start with this because i want to glorify god if you're a sunday school teacher and somebody asks you why are you a sunday school teacher let me tell you the first thing out of your mouth ought to be to exalt jesus christ right if you work in the Uh, Anything in the church as a volunteer and somebody says, why do you do this? Your first answer should not be, oh, it just gives me a warm feeling. Or I just have extra time or something like that. No, no, no. The first thing out of your mouth ought to be for the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why am I preaching tonight? First thing out out of my mouth ought to be for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's everything that we do. And that's what David ends on. And David comes down to this point realizing that all those things that he has said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit don't describe him very often, maybe sometimes, maybe a little bit. And so he gets to this last verse, verse 11, and David is dealing with this sin, which is what all of this ought to do to us. It ought to be that we can't get up and leave and say, amen, well, it's a good time tonight. We've been in the Word of God. We ought to see ourselves in this and see how many times we're not teachable because we're not humble. How many times we are not as good and upright as we ought to be, and how separate we are from even sharing the gospel with any sinners because we don't really want to be tainted by them or something. It's not what God did. And so we need to humble ourselves and be usable uh, in His kingdom for His glory. So we want our sins forgiven. But we want to go our way and we want to do our things. And when it does happen and anything good happens, we want to say it's because of a decision I made, because of a choice that I made, because of wisdom that I had, and it has nothing to do with that. This is all about the glory of God. And so um, we uh, think about Ephesians chapter 1 and we're we're done with this, verses 3 through 6. Have you ever heard this? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as uh, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world why that we should be holy and blameless before him he's the object In love He predestined us to the adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. And so why did He bless us in the Beloved? Why did He do all of that? It's all about Him, folks. And we try to make it about us. And David is giving us a reminder. No, it's for His glory and His exaltation. That's why He forgave you. That's why He accepts you. That's why He loves you. That's why Jesus has prepared a mansion for you in glory. It's all about Him and we exalt Him. And even your salvation is not about what you did. It's about what He did and to the praise of His glorious grace. We've got it all backwards. And we're twisting it around we wonder why our souls are shrinking and they're so messed up and we're so unhappy because we've got to quit lifting up our soul to the lies and we've got to lift up our soul to the Lord. Unto Thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Teach me Your ways and teach me Your paths, O Lord, That's where our heart, that's where our cry ought to be. Looking to Him, He's the only answer that we have. And it's all for His glory whenever He does it. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up in due season. So, can we do that? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And would you express to the Lord how much you love Him? How thankful you are for Him? Would you humble yourself and admit to God you would, you would not be here tonight if it were not for Him? You would not be saved if it were not for Him? You wouldn't know anything about the Bible if it were not for Him? And ask Him to be your teacher because He teaches the humble. Tell Him you're willing to change to do whatever you need to do to glorify Him. And you're ready to go to work. You're ready to serve You're ready to do something for Him but you have to do it in His strength and His strength alone. Ask Him to saturate your mind and your life with the truth and to draw your eyes and your thoughts and your meditation and your heart to truth to counteract all of the world's lies. And then ask Him to cleanse you That he might be greatly glorified in your life. In everything you do. Whatever you do. Whether you eat or whether you drink. Whatever you do. Do all to the glory of God the word says. Father we come before you proud, arrogant and yet so broken. So self-sufficient. We can hardly even think of any need that we have and we're like the church at Laodicea because you say I am rich strong and increased in goods and have need of nothing and yet Jesus said can you not see that you are poor blind miserable and naked and that's kind of the culture that we live in poor blind miserable naked and we come to you to say tonight we don't want to be like that we want to repent we want to be humble And we want to live for your glory in everything that we do. We want to look into your word and be moved and be changed and be fed and be strengthened. And we want to make a difference in the kingdom of God for your glory, seeing sinners saved, seeing believers strengthened. And we want to do it all that Jesus might be exalted. So forgive us, cleanse us, and then assign us and empower us, Lord. And We love you, and we thank you for being so incredibly patient with us. Thank you for David. Thank you for what he wrote. And thank you, Lord, that even as he was writing it, it humbled him. May we be that way whenever we come before your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.